2: There's a little sample of some party music being played at the back of the main stand here at Old Trafford today and it was a party off the field singing that great Wonderwall song by Oasis, the local band from Manchester. And England's batsman had a party on the field here at Old Trafford as well. And I suppose you could call Zach Crawley wonderwall, really, with that amazing innings of 189 he produced today to totally dominate the day's play. So welcome to the Analyst Insight Cricket. This podcast is supported by IG Trading and Investments. S- so, Simon, we said on the, on the first edition of this uh, podcast So Simon, we said after the first day's play that England would have to be positive today obviously and step on the gas and they did that in no uncertain terms but I suppose what may have struck people as surprising or more surprising was the fact that the Australians seemed utterly confused for most of the day. How, How did you see it?
0: Well, I thought it was an extraordinary day's cricket. It was the day when all that basball preparation came to fruition for England. It was a day for Zach Crawley that makes the pain worth it and for Australia, goodness me, in the afternoon session, they looked l- lacking in energy, their tactics were all over the place. And in that half an hour before tea, it looked as they were just bowling for a declaration. I and mean, it was extraordinary, really. I, you know, it, I was trying to actually think back to when I've seen Australian sides so lacklustre in the field. And we might come to a few examples of that in the past that I've come up with. But in that session, that afternoon session, conceding 178 runs in 25 overs. I mean England played superbly that you know they went for it they did exactly what they sort of we thought they were going to do and it worked for them but I thought Australia they were they were just so poor in that afternoon session in particular.
2: Yeah, it was uh, it was odd to watch, wasn't it? Because you know, you see Australia always so often in command of their out cricket because of their excellent bowlers and the, the the aggression and the kind of persistence and ruthlessness that they normally bring to the game. And today they were bereft, it seemed, in that afternoon session. And I think what I suppose really illustrated that and really revealed, in a way, a, a, a lack of kind of clear planning was the strange field settings, and I, I actually noted down in one over from Pat Cummins, at one point they had seven men on the off side and two men on the leg side. So a kind of off theory, if you like, to Zach Crawley. And then they tried the, the, the leg theory and had all the men on the leg side in the same over and then there was another over when Pat Cummins was also bowling and I suppose this shows how difficult it can be to be a a fast bowler and a captain but there was one over where he tried the 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 kind of bounce of leg theory tactics to Joe Root for a couple of balls and they had everybody on the leg side and that didn't work very well partly because he didn't get the ball very high and therefore Root was able to paddle them away quite safely so then he got every fielder running over to the offside and still managed to bowl a wide half volley, which Root drove through the covers to sort of ironic cheering from the big stand, which I spent some of the afternoon in. Eight thousand people uh, in one stand, all cheering for England, of course. In between drinking their beer and making a big beer snake, and, and it was just a day of England's batsmen frolicking and Australia's bowlers looking completely toothless.
0: Yeah, I thought Pat Cummins had a really difficult day. I mean, it started from the first ball of the day, didn't it? When he lost his wicket to James Anderson. Sort of loose drive, caught by Ben Stokes in the covers. And then it just continued on. There was that drop catch from Moen Ali when Moen Ali had 53. That didn't cost Australia too many because Moen was out shortly afterwards. And then 16 overs, no maidens, 0 for 93 with the ball. I think, to me, he just looks like someone who's sort of carrying the burden of this Australian side and it just at the moment it looks too heavy that burden you know this is his fifth test match back to back he's talked about playing you know, every single test match but he, he just looks a bit below par really and I, I think it's affecting him perhaps affecting his captaincy as well he just looked a bit laboured in the field uh, with the ball you know, as captain as well he just completely lost control for me in that afternoon session okay you know it, England came at them uh, but they knew they would I mean he, he, you know it's pretty clear, you know, we, we can see that from, from off the field, we can see it from a distance that that's the way England were going to go about it today and they he just completely lost control of the game it was a glorious romp for England today and when, you know, if you'd, if you'd sat down at the start of the day's play and scripted almost the perfect day then this would have been it, wouldn't it? I mean, they they knocked out the last two wickets for 18 runs. I suppose it could have been a bit better. That was, uh, Chris Wokes, no ball. He took the wicket of Hazelwood off a no ball. That would have been Australia 301 all out. So they just you know took a bit more time in their innings. Yeah, you know, So that sort of took some time out of the game, added a few more. Uh, and then they went out and scored, what, what was it, 284 for four. I mean, beyond, almost beyond their wildest dreams, really, that, that sort of day for England. And Australia now under pressure in the game. Um, and everyone, of course, is, is looking at that weather forecast again
2: yes and it's been a glorious day here at Old Trafford today sunny a little bit of a, a little bit of a breeze uh, you mentioned England starting their day well of course Jimmy Anderson took the wicket that was mm. Pat Cummings the first ball of the day and that brought a lot of cheers a lot of people sort of just arriving seeing their hero their local hero finally taking a wicket in innings and at the other end Chris Wokes got a five for his first Five for in an Ashes test match, deservedly so. He led the team off holding the ball high. A couple of other people to mention before we get into Crawley. I think a word for Moen Ali. Um, Actually, before we mention Murnally, just a a small thing, I I watched uh, the Nets this morning and uh, as our sponsors IG uh, also are doing this IG Net Gains Fund, I thought we should mention a little bit of activity going on in the Nets this morning. I watched Ben Duckett batting in the Nets for a little while and I was standing with a, a couple of spectators and one of them said, go on Ben, practice a leave just for us. <laughs> and he did, believe it or not. The next ball from Martha Strascothic feeding them, he actually did leave. He said, that, "Will that do you?" And they went, "Yeah." But well, thank you very much. Very good. Uh, a, a collector's item. Uh, ben Duckett leaving one, but in fact then in the match <laughs> he got quite a good ball and I, I wonder if people would have said "Oh, he could have left it. I heard one or two commentators saying he could have left it, but actually I'm not sure he could have. I think it was a pretty good delivery by Mitchell Stark mm-hmm. and an early strike for, for Australia. But then Moen and Ali, and I watched a little bit of him practising uh, this morning. Very different sort of practice session, no pads, no helmet, no arm guard, no gloves. Just a bat and a ball, stroking the ball into the side netting on the outfield. A few nice gentle throws from Paul Collingwood just to get his flow going. And what was really impressive about Moen today, I think, was the way he left the ball. Actually, talking of leaves, he didn't get drawn into playing the hook shot. He ducked out of the way, weaved out of the way of the bouncers when they set the trap. He left the ball early on when the, the opening bowls were looking a bit threatening. And then... Really got to tucking into his beautiful off drives and, and clips and so on, and actually played a very elegant innings. And you know, I sort of we we debated whether what you know the idea of putting Mo in a, a number three, and obviously it was a, a gesture uh, that he made to the team. Would it work? Well, I think. The so way I'd sum it up is, for those of you who might be snooker fans or, or know a bit about snooker, there is a shot in the snooker called uh, a shot to nothing, when the white ball early in a game is in the bulk area, around about the yellow, brown and, and green, sort of right at the, the back of the, the table, if you like, and you've got all the reds in a pyramid shape uh, down uh, at the bottom of the table, and maybe one red has sort of strayed out from the group. And the shot to nothing is an attempted pot from right back at one end of the table to the other, trying to clip the red into a bottom pocket. But if you miss it and you're a good player, you can return the white back to bulk to a safe place. And that's called a shot to nothing. And I think Moen's entry at number three, long-winded way of saying Moen's entry at number three is a shot to nothing because he is a barrier to the kind of uh, engine room of the middle order, if you like but he could also come off and today he did he got the whole the whole show going
0: i thought he played really well i I, I thought it was an excellent and mature innings he actually batted like a number three uh, there was a story that between test matches, he went away to work really hard on his batting. And I thought it showed, you're right, he, he left it well. He, he was a bit flirty on occasions, but he also stroked the ball elegantly uh, through the offside. It was a real sort of feet-on-the-ground innings uh, from Moe and Ali. Uh, in contrast to Zach Crawley at the other end, who looked as if he was batting on a high wire in the, in the first part of his innings. In a complete contrast, actually, Moe looked far more Secure than Zach Crawley when you, Crawley made 189, Moens out for 54, and he was dropped just before he was out as well. And there was one other up his shot through the onside that Cummins uh, didn't pick up. But yeah, I thought I thought he. He played really well. He looked like a number three. He looked like someone that could could deal with it. Of course, he has played at number three for large parts of his career. It's easy uh, to forget that. And he has played mature Test match innings. He just hasn't done it for a long time. He hasn't scored a Test 50 uh, for four years. Mind you, he's been retired uh, from Test cricket for some of that time. Just on Duckett, just before we uh, leave that, (laughs) good story about him leaving in the nets. I thought that the ball he got was a good ball to someone who doesn't leave the ball. You know, he, he, I think some players would have left it, but for Ben Duckett, it was it was like the perfect ball to bowl. It was really good for Mitchell Stark. It was sort of in that corridor, moving away, and Ben Duckett pushed out of it and, and, and nicked it behind. You know, it was one of those. It was it was a decent ball, wasn't it? And uh, probably an even better ball uh, to someone like uh, Ben Duckett. Okay, then uh, yours, We've we've talked about uh, Ben Duckett. We've talked about Mo and Ali. Uh, we we should uh, devote some time uh, to Zach Crawley. Uh, 93 ball, 100, 189 in rapid time. His second 50, from 50 to 100, in only 26 balls. And he he, he was quite flirty to start with. I mean, there were lots of big drives and misses. There were some inside edges past the stumps. But goodness me, once he got into his innings, I mean, he, he played superbly. It was a commanding effort from Zach Crawley. And it was why, you know, England persevered with him, wasn't it? Lots of people saying, oh, drop him, drop him, get rid of him, get rid of him, get rid of Ducky, get rid of Crawley, get rid of everyone, get rid of Bairstow. <laughs> but actually, sometimes uh, patience uh, works and, uh, well, it was just a, a stunning innings.
2: Yeah, and, and it, you know, you're right. The, the key to it was the impact it had on the Australians. It just drained them of any uh, hope or uh, aspiration uh, or any energy in the end because he kept you know basically driving them down the ground for four at the start yeah he did waft outside off stump unwisely and was lucky to play and miss a few times but the australians didn't persevere with that line of attack they fed him mm. on his pads far too often mm. early on so he got his innings underway with some fairly risk-free shots with still a few wafts uh, outside of stump and then started to get some confidence and you know at lunch England were only 62 for one so you know he hadn't really got going that afternoon session he started to get his drive going also it was interesting they they targeted Travis Head didn't they and he uh, reverse swept Travis Head the off spinner's first ball for four then he slog swept his second ball over deep mid wicket for six and you know that is Zach Crawley's first six in the basball era whereas Ben Stokes has hit 33 sixes Since uh, Brendan McCullum took over, and I think Harry Brooks hit about 18. That was Zach Crawley's first six under the coaching uh, regime of of Brendan McCullum, so quite impressive. And uh, you know, that got it going, it it forced the Australians to go back to seam again. The pitch was looking pretty flat, it it played much better today, didn't it, than on the first day. It seemed fairly lifeless after the first seven or eight overs, and by the, uh, the sort of mid afternoon. Crawley was just imperiously driving the ball, you know, back back past the bowlers. Cummins went for nearly a hundred. He tried to pitch the ball up and uh, just with that majestic flow of the bat. Crawley drilled it back past him on either side of the wicket. And we mentioned yesterday on the podcast that brilliant 118 that Ian Botham made here in 1981 as one of the great innings at Old Trafford. A rapid uh, 186 ball 100 that day and really clinched the ashes for England in that amazing series. And this one, this 100, we were calling for something similar for today and this one did emulate it. Uh, Crawley, the dominance in the end hitting mostly on the along the ground uh, one or two slightly extravagant shots but in the main actually just a, a consummately aesthetically pleasing innings and the roar the the purr from the crowd when he did those unleashed those
0: drives was was something to behold yeah he's a lovely player to watch he's a, he's, a, he's a player of excellent cricket shots isn't he and you know he that, that's where you want him to succeed you want him to stay in you don't want him to play nicely and, and nick off. Today it was actually played nicely and dragged on, wasn't it? But not before he scored 189. He scored 100 runs in the afternoon session. I mean, 100 runs in a session, you know, it's, it's something to behold, isn't it? It's a real feat. 178 runs in 25 overs in that afternoon session. And I was in Ralpindi when he uh, was part of that 174 runs in that morning session on the first day of the first test against Pakistan and they went better than it I and mean, that felt like something spectacular in Raul 174 for no wicket in 27 overs, this was 178 in 25 overs and it just illustrated how much Australia uh, lost control I did have a look back and tried to sort of think about times when I've seen Australia so ragged in the field and I thought back to 1985 Oval Test match, that's a a long way back for some of our listeners, but that was the day in which uh, David Gower and Graham Gooch put on 351 for the second wicket on the first day. Uh, At at Lords in 2013, there was a Root and Bell partnership where they put on 153 in 37 overs, Okay, not as quick. And then Sydney 2011, when England confirmed their Ashes win in 2010-11, they made 644. In 177.5 overs, and there were times when Australia looked very ragged, especially towards the end of the innings. Uh, you know, England made th- the three centurions in that innings, and you know, Australia looked a bit ragged. But I, I, it's hard to remember England, Australia, uh, an Australian team looking so energyless in a, in a, in yeah, a session I, I of Yeah I suppose the, the
2: other one I would the other one I would say was the uh, day at uh, Brisbane when England got 517 for one, and obviously that was Alistair Cook Andrew Strauss and then Jonathan Trott batting through the last day and at that point Ricky Ponzi was captain of Australia at the time and I remember some some mocking of his captaincy with uh, Australia just completely unable to stem the flow or take any wickets and uh, at, at one point there was a short mid-on fielder posted and someone some wag Australian wag shouted oh yeah Ricky that's a great idea the last time someone was caught at short mid-on was 1932 or something you know and by the end the Australian crowd had all gone home and it was just English fans left in the the stadium. So that was another one when Australia were were totally bereft and hapless in the field, but it doesn't happen too often. So, you know, well played to Zach Crawley, magnificent innings, well done to England for sticking with him as well. And talking of, you know, classic performances and, great memorable moments here at Old Trafford. We can't uh, go away from the second day of the Test match, the Ashes Test match, without mentioning Shane Warne's Ball of the Century. It is the 30th anniversary of that. There was uh, something on the wall of the pavilion today, I noticed, a a mural commemorating that great delivery with a giant 30-foot picture of Shane Warne with Mike Gatting walking off looking a little bit bewildered uh, and that's a little kind of memory of of that great moment. And because we're we're sponsored here by IG and they're doing the Net Gains Arena, uh, Mike Gatting is going to come and actually face the Ball of the Century tomorrow in the Net Gains Arena. Meanwhile, I thought we'd just recap that great moment of 1993 with Mark Taylor, the Australian captain who was first slip on that particular day and has a very clear memory of it.
1: I've heard Warnie say post that delivery that he really just wanted to get one down there, hopefully land it somewhere around the stumps, get Gap playing forward and defending. Um, And all of a sudden he just takes those four or five steps, which he does. Out comes this ball. And I remember watching it and I thought, "Whoa, that's not a bad one. And it actually really drifted a long way. And that's really what did Gap. And then to spin like it did and go back across his body and clip the top of off start was just, well, as we're now still talking about it, what, nearly 30 years later. If you watch that delivery closely, you'll see that Gat doesn't do a lot wrong. I've heard people say, oh, he should have played back or he should have covered the spin more. And, and it's easy when you watch it on television and say that's what you should do. But Gat sees it out of the hand, but the the ball actually opens him up because it drifts. And not a lot of balls drift like that ball drifted. So he opens up to play it what he thinks is somewhere back down the pitch. He wasn't trying to work it to square leg or anything like that. He was he was just trying to defend it. But it opened him up just enough and then spun just enough to beat the bat. The fact that it beat him all ends up and then clipped the top of off stump makes it, you know, what everyone considers the ball of the century. I don't believe in that very moment that he thought it bowled him. I suspect he he may have thought heels might have just bumped the bail off, because he looked around in dismay and walked off, still looking at the, the the big screen to see what had actually happened. And in a way, that reaction was absolutely perfect for us because if he's thinking that, I dare say the England players are thinking, "Wow, this guy is not just a flash in the pan. But all of a sudden, there's this guy who could bowl that sort of delivery and make you look a little bit stupid." without bowling at 150, 160 k's an hour.
0: Well, I I can still see that ball now. I know we've seen it so many times, replayed on television, etc., in documentaries. But I just remember exactly where I was when I saw that uh, Shane Warne delivery to Mike Gatting and thinking, oh, England are in for a a decade of misery in Ashes cricket. And, uh, well, no one was far wrong with that because Shane Warne tortured England for for many years to come. What about this test match? And I suppose, I mean, just to pick up on that point, Simon, I, I
2: suppose what Australia lacked today... Obviously, it was a ball of the century, but a spinner, mm. uh, Nathan Lyon. I think today they really yep. felt his absence more than perhaps is, has been noticed before. Definitely. You know, we were talking yesterday, was it a mistake to leave the spinner out, the Todd Murphy out? Well, I'm not sure about that. It may be Cameron Green who would have replaced him, would have replaced him in this game. Maybe he'll get a big score in the second innings and justify his selection, but... Nathan Lyon would obviously have made a difference in today's uh, play because he would have stemmed the flow and he would have been able to enabled the Australian faster bowlers to rotate. But I don't think Todd Murphy would have made that much difference because I think England would England would have targeted him and he probably wouldn't have been any more effective than he was at Headingley. Uh, that said, you know England have played superbly and they're now leading by sixty-seven, three hundred and eighty-four for four with Stokes and and Harry Brook ready to fire.
0: Yeah, I, Brooke was a slightly curious innings, wasn't he? 14 off 41 balls. He came in with just over an hour's play left, and you thought he might better push on, and England might get a lead of 80, 100 by the close of play. But he he was tucked up by some actually some quite steady Australian bowling in the last hour. They didn't give him much uh, to hit. Ben Stokes uh, tried to pro- progress the game. and They're putting together a, a decent partnership. What what do England do from here then? What what's their target? Do you think? Um, I mean, I'll give you my view, and you you can give me yours. Yours. I I would want a lead of two hundred as quickly as they possibly can, which is going to be somewhere in the region you'd think of lunchtime tomorrow, and then pull out. Uh, you know, declare if necessary. I wouldn't normally declare at lunch on the third day, but you you know you'd press on, get as many as you possibly can. But I, you know, it, it seems as if that weather forecast is unequivocal on Saturday. You know, it's going to rain all day, and there's going to be no play on Saturday. Uh, there might be a, f- a few showers around on, on tomorrow as well, on Friday, and the, the final day. The forecast seems to have changed a bit. It, 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 the feeling is there might be more play than we thought, so that, that gives you a little bit of latitude. But you, you don't want to waste time, do you? So I'm looking 200 by lunchtime if they possibly can. So that would be another 130 runs in that first session, which you know, think England would be perfectly capable of doing. Not that Australia will dish up that many overs. The over rate will presumably be uh, quite slow, but they need to. You know, England will need to score. Or around about five runs uh, per over. They've still got Bairstow to come and Wokes and, and Wood. So that, that would be my target, something like that. What what about you?
2: Yeah, I completely agree. Uh, there is some rain forecast for them tomorrow morning, actually. Right. Uh, don't know if it'll materialise, obviously, but that may, might just in, interrupt England's uh, ideas and thoughts slightly. But, yeah, I agree. Trying to get another 130 or so runs as quickly as possible, get the Aussies in after lunch. Some good signs for England... In the pitch, Joe Root bowled by a gazunda ball after his highly polished and efficient 84, and very attractive innings it was too, with more reverse ramps and excellent uh, all-round skills, which we've come to expect from him. But bowled by a ball which is totally unplayable, went straight under his bat from uh, Josh Hazelwood. So a good sign for England that the pitch is starting to misbehave, because one or two bounced mm. awkwardly to Harry Brook as well in the last half hour or so so England will want to see that I mean I'm just looking at the pitch now it looks you know still beautiful there is not that much rough uh, there's a little bit but it looks a very even covering still so I, I suspect it will still be pretty good for batting but that little hint of uneven bounce and it's which, which will you know, be some optimism doing them and it's just amazing isn't it how much uh, well how often bowlers can find something in a pitch when there's scoreboard pressure whereas they can't find anything in a pitch when the batsmen are dominating and the energy kind of goes out of your limbs and the hope and expectation goes out of your mind and you just kind of end up going through the motions and the batsmen just get on top of you and you can't see any way through so the psychology of getting that 180 to 200 run lead should help England's bowlers plus hallelujah the bowlers will have actually had a day off as well for a change as so a proper day off you know rather than having to get out and get the boots on every single day and see the batsmen wafting and will, willing their wickets away after 60 overs yeah. this time they batted at least 70 and will probably bat over 100 yeah so uh, everything in England's favour Apart from the weather forecast, yeah, I mean that's
0: it's, that's that one thing. It's just been on the horizon. But then, would you know, would England have been in this position if it hadn't been for that weather forecast? I and mean, I think it sort of forced their hand a bit, isn't it? It made them play that way today. I mean, they they. They're Naturally aggressive anyway, it's the way they want to play, but I don't think they necessarily would have pushed the game forward in quite the way they've done today without that weather forecast. And they probably, I don't know, it's a difficult one, but they might well have batted first on the first day as well and, and said, Yeah, look look at history, it says you, you generally bat first at Old Trafford, and the teams that, that bat first generally do better. If you put teams in, you, you generally don't win at Old Trafford. They're trying to buck the trend of that, so you know, in a, in a strange way, the weather forecast, you know, it's sort of given that sort of nothing to lose approach approach, uh, it's a bit like but it, it goes hand in hand with basketball anyway, I agree with you about the pitch, It did look to be a little, in that, it's strange was not it, the last hour or so think that things seem to be happening, well, obviously the route dismissal on one or two uh, bouts and you're right, if, of course the other thing about when you've got 180 run lead, 200 run lead is the field tends to be up as well and those ones fly to fielders rather than pass them or, or, or non-existent fielders if you've got the field back, Australia had very uh, deep set fields today, not so many close catches, but when you've got the field up Uh, There's obviously a much better chance they go to hand. So, yeah, England have given themselves a chance in this game. They really have. Um, Australia have to fight hard. Uh, They'll want to restrict England's lead, obviously, to as as few as possible. Uh, I don't think it's unrealistic to think that England could get a lead of uh, 180-200. Still got to play well, but they've got that momentum from today, haven't they? They've got that confidence. Australia need to come back tomorrow and, and do something special to force their way back into the game.
2: And I think also they may be without Mitchell Stark Mm -hmm. because... He fell quite heavily on his shoulder towards the end of play and came back on after some treatment but then went off again and didn't want to throw the ball in from the boundary and, and retired uh, to the dressing room. So he'll be sore. I would imagine they won't bowl him tomorrow and you know the, 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 one doesn't know, of course, how well he'll be uh, with, the, with the final test match coming up uh, hard on the heels of this one. Anyway, a, an amazing day's play. 402 runs in the day. 79 overs bowled, so 11 short. But still, no short advantage only six wickets fell in the day, uh, those two to Australia, uh, the, the last two wickets for Australia, and then four for England. So it's superbly set up for England to really press on and put Australia back in after lunch. So we'll hope that there is plenty of play tomorrow, and I'll also be watching in the IG Net Games Arena to see how Mike Gatting gets on against the ball of the century, the virtual version of that. So we're reporting back tomorrow with lots of interesting stuff.
0: Speak to you then, and thanks for listening. Podcast Network.